Good morning. Please pray with me. Dear God, please use these scriptures to reveal more of your love, truth, and promises to our listening hearts. We earnestly desire to be continually challenged, transformed, and renewed by your words of life. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. This morning's scripture is found in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, found on page 968 of your Pew Bible. Again, the scripture is Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, page 968 in the Pew Bible. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. It's kind of hard to follow up with Russ when it comes to reading scripture. He's, uh, he has some gifts in that area for sure. Thank you, Russ. Let's hear now from the New Testament. This is Acts uh, chapter 8. You know, we've been going through the, uh, the book of Acts through the summer. We have one more week in the book of Acts. Uh, Howard will be preaching next week, concluding this uh, series in the book. We'll read today. This will be chapter 8, uh, 4 through 25. Hear God's word. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid it paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had, who had had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. And when he, when he had come to Jerusalem, uh, and, when, and when, let's see, am I in the right spot? Let's see. Oh. Okay, wait, was I in the wrong chapter? Man, alive. All right, let's, let's do that again. Okay, oh, I had the wrong, I turned over two pages. All right, I was doing good. I was doing good. Okay. All right, here we are. This is 8 9. We'll continue on. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God. And that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name 
of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the verse I want you to take notice of. For he, meaning the Holy Spirit, had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when they laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that that anyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this manner, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are full of gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages in Samaria. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your presence here by your Holy Spirit. We are grateful for the truths of the gospel that guide us in our lives as well, that we might understand the ways that you are at work and that we might join you in the work that you are doing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, there's some things in the Bible that I hear a lot, maybe you do too, that are just just really wrong. And and I really, it, it, it bothers me. One of those things is this phrase, God helps those who help themselves. God, right off. God helps those who trust him, those who are open to his presence and his power. Another expression I hear a lot is uh, the Old Testament is all about the law. The New Testament is about grace, right? No, 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 no. There is grace all through the Old Testament. If you see it, uh, it's all there. There's plenty of grace exhibited through the Old Testament as well. Now, another expression that uh, we've heard, and maybe even recently here, that you hear a lot, I mean, some that is kind of a funny expression, but it says all kind of bad stuff, is this. Some people are paid to be good, and other people are good for nothing. That's right. That's you all. No, not true. I'm paid. You know, we're paid. You're good for nothing. That's not true at all. So we want to kind of debunk that today as we kind of go along. That's where I'm heading, to- heading towards that. Greg Ogburn wrote a book a few years back called The Second Reformation. The Second Reformation, implying there was a First Reformation. Well, if you know much about church history, 500 years ago this year, kind of neat, in 1517, Martin Luther, John Calvin, and others started the First Reformation. In fact, a group of our people from our church are going over, Howard Griffin and others, to Germany uh, this fall, celebrating the 500th anniversary of the First Reformation. Now, what was the First Reformation about? The justification by faith alone. Didn't need to have works. It was all about what Jesus did for us. Salvation by faith alone. Also about the authority of Scripture, that the Bible alone was our authority, not church courts, not the Pope, 
The Bible alone was our, is our source of authority. That was part of the First Reformation. And also another key thing about the First Reformation was the idea that we did not need to go through a priest. You need to have a holy dude uh, to, uh, to pray to God for you. You can go right to God yourself. So that was called the priesthood of all believers, that anybody can go directly to uh, the Lord themselves. Well, Aubrey says that's the First Reformation, but the Second Reformation has kind of happened recently. And what's that? Well, people have begun to realize that we're all called and we're all gifted for ministry. Not just the people who are paid to be good, okay? We're all gifted. It's not this clergy laity division, not the holy and the ordinary, not the secular and the sacred. No, no, no. All are called to full-time ministry. All are gifted in, uh, all are gifted in the kingdom to use those gifts. Now, as I look around the church in my years, the church is full of animals. Did you know that? The church is full of animals. You know, there are, there are quite a few folks that are what I call caterpillars. Caterpillars. Those are the folks that kind of crawl into church, and then they kind of crawl out of church. And they kind of don't want to be seen, don't want to be known. They just want to come and kind of do that. Kind of, they want to be kind of crawl in and crawl out. Now, usually a large church attracts a lot of caterpillars. That's a big, big large church is because, you know, they have great preaching. Usually they have great music. So the caterpillars kind of come in and they kind of come out. But I have something to tell you today. We're not a large church. We're kind of a medium-sized church. You know what? I know your name. No, I do. I do. And I know where you sit. Mm-hmm. And I even know your phone number. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. So you've been forewarned, right? You've been forewarned. You can't be a caterpillar and be around these parts, right? Now, there are other people who may not be caterpillars, and I can't name everybody at this point. But there are other people in the church that I kind of call lions. They're lions. Now, these lions are people that know they're gifted. They know they're gifted by God, and they use those gifts here in the body of Christ. And I can't, again, it's a risk to name a few, but I'm going to name a few. Dick Doyle is, is a lion. This guy has a servant heart. He'll do the smallest task. Nobody knows, and he just gets it done. That's Dick Dole. We love Dick. Karen Jordan is one of those things. The dust is not, it, it, she's gone. I mean, she is a leader. Where Karen Jordan goes, the place rumbles. It just rumbles. The, 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 the foundation gets rocked. Because when Karen Jordan shows up, she is a leader. Things go on. David Mullen, who's actually one day older than I am, uh, which is good. But anyway, when David preaches, and he's preached here often, or if you go to a Sunday school class, David has a gift of teaching. And you know that about David? He's passionate. And when I hear David, I just, I see passion all over him. And so David Mullen uses his, his gifts here. Lulu Cowan, who here was, he, she was here at the last service, Lulu is just Mrs. Organization. I mean, she gets people together, things happen, boom, the work of the kingdom grows. Lulu Cowan has that kind of gift. Scott and Nancy Gilmore, who I've admired for years, have pastoring gifts, shepherding gifts. Well, that person is this tall or bigger than I am, whatever. Scott and Nancy shepherd people, love folks, pastor people. Scott and Nancy Gilmore are those kind of folks. Rita Morrow, who's a pretty new member here, Rita has a real passion for those outside the body of Christ. A couple of weeks ago, she came with a book. It's called Praying for Strangers. Never heard of that book, but she says it's a, just, it tells stories and stories of people who just meet folks, you begin to pray for them, God does miraculous things. So that's just a few of the lions, and I mean, there are a lot of lions here in the room right now, I get that. But those are people who know their gifts, and they use those as far as the body of Christ is concerned. Now we're going to talk more about that as we go on here, about people using their gifts. 
Now, the book of Acts that I mentioned before, we're, we're kind of into that. Uh, Luke wrote, he wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. It's really, really two books with, one book with two different kind of titles. But he wrote those, in the, he wrote the book of Acts in the 60s, really pretty quickly after the events happened. And we, we read one of those chapters, Acts chapter 8, this morning. Now, in Acts chapter 8, let's talk about that a second. In Acts chapter 8, if you notice this, this chapter, what happens here is it's kind of an unintentional expansion of the church. It wasn't like the apostles got together and said, okay, let's map a strategy here. Let's, we're going to take Judea, and then we're going to go to Samaria, and then we're heading to Rome. The leaders didn't figure that deal out. What happened here, the church got persecuted. Stephen got martyred in the last chapter. The, the, the people, the body of Christ, the people in the church said, we got to get out of here. And as they left Jerusalem... They, began, they just shared what they believed. They just shared what had been happening in their lives with other people. So it was kind of an organic growth of the body of Christ as people just went about uh, getting out of Jerusalem and they shared their understanding of Jesus and who he was with those about them. Now, a very interesting guy is Philip. Philip was a deacon. He came and shared. He was preaching the gospel, sharing about Christ, a love relationship with Jesus. Philip was doing that. And he ran to a very interesting person. And his name was Simon. And Simon was kind of a charismatic person, clearly had real gifts and talents, and he was a sorcerer or a magician, probably a little bit on the dark side. He probably really enjoyed the, the attention and the, the power, supposedly, he had. And it says, and it says in, this, in chapter 8 that, that Simon and some other people uh, came to faith, and they, were, they, were belie- they believed and were baptized. Now, that's when things get pretty interesting. Now, in describing these people, who uh, Simon being one of them, uh, it talks about uh, in verse eight in chapter eight, verse sixteen. Some people say the most extraordinary statement in the whole book of Acts, in, in chapter eight, verse sixteen. And what is that? What is it describing? This is what it says. It says, "It says because the Holy Spirit had not come upon any of them, they had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus." Hmm. Okay. Let me say that again. A very unusual verse. And probably the most unusual verse in Acts. Because the Holy Spirit had, come, had not come upon any of them, they had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, if you're going to look at the whole of Scripture as a whole, the teaching, the consistent teaching of Scripture is this. That the baptism of the Holy Spirit in adults normally occurs in connection with a profession of faith in Jesus. And then followed by water baptism. So the consistent teaching of Scripture is a little bit different than we see here. So here in Acts, do we have a two-step process? In other words, do people believe in Jesus and experience water baptism? And then a second experience later that that some people might call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Are they two separate occurrences? Do people come to Christ and then not necessarily receive the Holy Spirit? Hmm. I think the consistent teaching of Scripture, again, is that these are combined, a faith in Jesus, a giving of the Holy Spirit. Now, why do I say this? One is this. You have to keep in mind, this is, this is, this is important, that when you, uh, you have experiences, you don't bring your experiences to Scripture and then read into the Word. You allow the truths of Scripture to interpret your experience. So the Scripture is primary, Okay. And in that kind of context, and looking at the book of Acts, and sometimes the book of Acts are the experiences of the early church, right? The the event of Pentecost was a one-time event. Pentecost was poured out upon the Holy Spirit given upon the early church, okay? The event of Pentecost. 
And this experience, many theologians think, which I would tend to agree, that this was a kind of Samaritan Pentecost. If you know much about the history of the uh, Jews and Samaritans, the Jews didn't like Samaritans. Samaritans were kind of half-breeds. They had kind of compromised and merged with other cultures. And the Jews were pure, and they worshipped in Jerusalem. Samaritans had other places to worship, and and the Jews didn't like Samaritans. So when the gospel moved to Samaria, there was a chance of schism or division among the church because of these two entities. So many people think... God in his sovereignty waited uh, until the apostles showed up. Peter and John showed up, verified the thing that was going was biblical. God was at work. And the Holy Spirit then was poured out upon the Samaritans. One-time event. Samaritan Pentecost. Unity was maintained. Schism was avoided because of this step process. Normally, as I said, the Holy Spirit is uh, uh, given at... Uh, the the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an initiating event when a person puts their faith in Christ. Now, if you go throughout the scripture too, when it says something that said somebody is in the Spirit, well, when you say in the Spirit, it's the same thing as they're a Christ follower. So that expression, somebody was in the Spirit, simply means they're they're a follower of Jesus. That's how it's described. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about, uh, before we get into the works of the Holy Spirit, I want to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is not, uh, let the force be with you. That's not who the Holy Spirit is. It's not an it. It's the Holy Spirit. It's not a presence. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. Now, we are Orthodox, biblical believers, we believe. And uh, if you are, uh, we are what we call Trinitarian monotheists. They kind of look confusing, but God is one in three persons. That we are Trinitarian monotheists. C.S. Lewis talked about this trinity and how they connect and relate to each other. He called it kind of a dance. It's kind of a dance between the three people of the trinity. They defer to one another. They honor each other. And uh, they love one another. I love the, uh, the, the view that love existed before creation. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There was a love relationship going on there in that dance. And so we weren't created, the universe, so, so there'd be love, there'd be a relationship. We were created so the Trinity could give love away. Because there already was love, right? Because there was a Trinity. There was a relationship already going on there. I, I like that vision. Now, to help us understand the person of the Holy Spirit, uh, Jim Dennison assembled a list of scriptures that kind of describes these uh, different uh, uh, person-like qualities of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's kind of interesting for you to hear those. One is this, the Holy Spirit has knowledge. Secondly, he has a will and makes decisions. Third, the Holy Spirit has emotions. The Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit cries. The Holy Spirit prays. The Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus. The Holy Spirit teaches. The Holy Spirit leads Christians. The Holy Spirit directs. So those are all very personal qualities of a person that you can know. The Holy Spirit is a person. Okay, coming in the, in the, in the heading towards the, the, the backside of this message is this, that there are three different descriptions and, and phrases that describe the work of the Holy Spirit. And in the Old Testament, and that's in the New Testament, in the Old Testament uh, that uh, Russ read, the Holy Spirit was only given on individuals for a season, and not everyone received the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit worked differently. 
But in the New Testament, I think there are three different phrases that are used that kind of help us understand and and describe the work of the Holy Spirit today. Now, the first one is this, this expression, uh, baptized in the Spirit that I've referred to already. The idea of being baptized in the Spirit that occurred in um, uh, Samaria. Now, when I went to seminary, uh, I, I dated a girl, probably the second, no, third prettiest girl I ever went out with. The prettiest girl I ever went out with was Jerry. Come on, come on. Okay. All right. So uh, she's downstairs, but it's okay. All right. You, you, you help me out. That's good. All right. So I went out with Susan a little bit, and, and Susan, um, we dated, and she said, well, Murray, you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I kind of went, uh, and, and I kind of felt like I wasn't all there. I wasn't really following. Well, something wrong with me because I didn't have what she described. Now, as I mentioned earlier, first thing, even when we have great experiences, our experiences don't, we don't interpret Scripture by our experience. We allow Scripture to interpret what we go through. And so I think, again, if you look at the Word of God, I think it's pretty clear that the word baptism in the Holy Spirit is a one-time event that you experience. And it's connected with your coming to faith in Christ. Look at, the, look at the word. Mark, John, Mark 1 8 says this. John the Baptist says, I will baptize with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Speaking of the body of Christ, who we are, uh, Paul says this For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body. And speaking of the Corinthians, Paul again says, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, meaning the Holy Spirit, he does not belong to Christ. So, when you come to faith in Christ, I think the clear witness of Scripture is that that's when you're baptized in the Spirit. James Dunn, who's a, a famous theologian, says this, Baptism in the Spirit is used by Paul to describe nothing other than God's means of incorporating the convert into Christ. Okay? Baptized in the Spirit. The second phrase often used in Scripture talking about the work of the Holy Spirit is a term filled by the Spirit. Filled by the Spirit. And this, this phrase occurs many times in Acts and also appears in a key phrase in Ephesians 5.18. And that, that phrase is this, do not get drunk with wine, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. Now the word be filled, I'm not an English major, but it is a continuous present imperative. Meaning, not just be filled once, but be continually filled. I think we need to be continually filled filled because we leak. We leak. All right? All reasons why we leak. All reasons why we leak. But we can, we, that, that phrase is we need to be continually filled. Now, be filled also is a command of Scripture. It's not, well, when you get good enough, I hope it works out for you. I hope you get spirit filled or, you know, whatever. No, 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 no. It's a command. Be filled with the Spirit. Last thing about this, uh, this phrase, a verb that I think is very fascinating, is the word be filled is a passive verb. Meaning, you don't do it, God will do it to you. Okay? So be filled. So you have to be available. You have to be ready. It's really God's work. Okay? Now, how, how are you, how do you get ready for the Holy Spirit? How, how do you prepare? What, what goes on? What's your part in that? Well, Jim Dennison, again, the same guy. I talked briefly, and I don't have time to go through it with detail, but pretty interesting. You, first, you need to recognize you receive the Holy Spirit when you receive Christ. 
Second, you need to want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. You want to be filled. Filled, controlled, same idea. You have to want that. Now, on the back of your sheet that you hope you got when you came in here, the little, uh, the little bulletin, on the back of that sheet it has the outline of kind of the message here. But on the flip side of that, it has a prayer. Uh, John Stott's kind of my mentor, and uh, he has a little prayer in there. If you notice, it talks about uh, Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And there's a prayer daily, which I prayed that little prayer for six months. I want to encourage you to take that with you today. Use that prayer. You say, Lord, may you fill me by your Holy Spirit and produce your fruit in my life. And it describes that. Okay? So it talks about um, wanting, confessing your sin, being clean, being ready for the Holy Spirit's work. I ask the Holy Spirit to take over, to surrender to the Holy Spirit and that person, and then practice the presence of Christ. Uh, by your spiritual disciplines, your prayer, your Bible study, whatever, and asking the Holy Spirit to fill you. Okay. Now, what is the evidence? And there's another quote I hear by John Stott. What is the evidence of the Spirit's indwelling in fullness? As with baptism, so with fullness, the chief evidence is the moral, not the miraculous. Now, he does miraculous things, not denying that fact. But if a person is full of the Holy Spirit, they're going to produce the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. You'll see the witness of the Holy Spirit's fullness by the fruit of Christ, or the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their life. What is the fruit? Galatians 5, 22, 23. Love, peace, joy, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So if those things are being produced in your life, you see those things, or if they're growing in your life, hopefully they will. Hopefully you're more loving than you were last year. You're more more self-controlled, you're more joyful. As you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is produced in you. In you. You can also see things like this. Or do you enjoy worship? If the Holy Spirit is full in your life, you enjoy worship, enjoy praising God. That will be, those things will be going on. You'll be a person thankful. You'll be a person who gives thanks in all circumstances if the Holy Spirit is filling you. You'll be submitting to others. You won't be dominating. You won't be wanting your way all the time but you'll be able to defer to other people as a sign of the Holy Spirit's presence. And also, you'll be connecting in relationships. You'll have healthy relationships around you. You'll be reconciled to those about you as another sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay, finally, that we have the baptism of the Spirit, the initiating rite. We have the filling of the Holy Spirit. It needs to be continual. And finally, the last thing I want to mention briefly would be the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, Tim Keller, again, has a great definition of spiritual gifts. You can see this one. Uh, Differing spiritual gifts are differing abilities given by the Holy Spirit to each believer to meet the needs in such a way that enables a community to grow into the fullness of the character that is in Jesus Christ. Gifts are given uh, in in community. Um, And that's how it works. And the gifts as well help you and the community become more and more like Christ. Now, what are gifts? Now, again, I'm going to ref- uh, Howard, a few weeks ago, we did a talk about spiritual gifts. In fact, today I still have, if you did not take the little spiritual gift inventory, I have on the back table on the way out. Please grab that. A lot of you did fill out those spiritual gift surveys. I've, I've called about half of you. I'm working through the list. So if you haven't got a call, you, you filled out a list a few weeks ago, you haven't got a call from me, you're on my list. All right, same kind of thing. I'm, I'm going to call you. But if you haven't done that spiritual gift survey, please check that one on the back. And then it also, it, 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 we want to encourage you to go to the spiritual gift inventory on our webpage. And you can do a little more extensive spiritual gift survey in that way to kind of get a little idea of where maybe your spiritual gifts might be. But here's the deal. It's great to kind of do some testing and that kind of stuff. But you really discover your spiritual gifts as you're connected to the body of Christ. 
Uh, I've told the story more than once that a few years back when I was 21 years old, I went to a Young Life camp. We studied spiritual gifts for six weeks. We worked together. We, we got a chance to know each other. The last night we went around and said, okay, now what spiritual gift do we see in Pauline? What spiritual gift do we see in Kathy? What spiritual gift do we see in Diane? So we went around the circle and, and, it was, and they, said, they said things they saw in me. I've never heard anybody say, well, we see you have spiritual gifts. So the body of Christ steps up and when they see things in your life, they say, I see this gift. So you can take surveys, great thing, but you also have to experiment. If you're going to grow, you got to go. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to experiment about what kind of giftedness you have in the body of Christ. So you need to try that thing out. Try your spiritual gifts out. We want to be a church where the body of Christ is not, people are, some people are paid to be good. Some people are good for nothing. Not true. We believe we're all gifted. We're all gifted to use those gifts. That you might be filled with the Spirit, Jesus Christ was emptied of the Spirit. When Jesus Christ died in yours and my place at the cross, not only did the Father turn his face from Jesus, but the Holy Spirit left him. Uh, Jesus always experienced the dance. He was always with the Father and the Holy Spirit. But when he represented our sin at the cross, Jesus paid the price. As, as we know Jesus Christ, we can be baptized with the Spirit, we can be filled with the Spirit. And we can be gifted by the Spirit. And it all comes through the finished work of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you again for your amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Lord, we recognize that you're not done with us uh, as we trust you. That, Lord, you want to do a work of transformation. And your Holy Spirit does that. Lord, as we are baptized by your Spirit, as we are filled daily and refilled, day after day, by the, your Holy Spirit. And as, Lord, as we come to understand our gifts in the body of Christ, and we use those, uh, Lord, uh, every person is a lion in your economy. And, uh, Lord, we want to be faithful here at, uh, the, at the body of Christ that meets here at 1100 Harrison. We want to be faithful to see people used for your kingdom and your purposes. Because, Lord, every person in these pews are gifted and called into full-time work uh, to serve you where they live, work, and play. Lord, we give you all the praise. In Jesus we pray. Amen.